0: Week on the Blog Talk Radio and affiliate networks, which is brought to you by Information Builders, a 40 plus year old privately held software company headquartered in New York City. Information Builders believes data and analytics are the drivers of digital transformation and is on a mission to help its customers capitalize on new opportunities in the ever expanding connected world. Welcome, everyone. I'm Greg Masters, the producer and co-host of the show, and in the virtual studio today is my colleague, Fred Goldstein, principal co-host and co-founder of Pop Health Week. Top of the hour to you, Fred.
1: Top of the hour to you. Very much looking forward to this show and learning a little bit more about data liquidity. Kind of a new area for me.
0: Absolutely. So let's get right to it. For those of you not familiar with Fred, he is a veteran healthcare executive and the president of Accountable Health, LLC, a Jacksonville, Florida-based consulting firm. Fred serves on the editorial board of the Journal of Population Health Management and the Best Practices Review Panel for the Institute for Medicaid Innovations. He is a past chair and former board member of the Population Health Alliance. Fred is known on Twitter as at FSGoldstein. My background includes thought leadership and strategy consulting for hospitals, health systems, and physician-led ventures. I publish and principally author, acowatch.com, healthinnovationmedia.com, and precisionmedicine.center. Follow me on Twitter via at 2HealthGuru. And now for today's special guest. Dan Fultz is managing director of Parnassus Consulting, a data sciences firm whose mission is to help. Healthcare organizations use data to be more successful. Learn more about Parnassus Consulting on the web via www.parnassusconsulting.com or connect with Dan on LinkedIn. Today's session on healthcare data liquidity will focus on key questions, including what is healthcare data liquidity and why is it often so difficult to achieve what is the difference between data liquidity and interoperability we hear a lot about? And a deeper dive into how data liquidity sets the stage for so many healthcare initiatives, including preparing for new payment models and clinical integration, to name a few. So, Fred, with that introduction, over to you. Help us get to know Dan and his take on healthcare data liquidity.
1: Thank you so much, Greg. And, Dan, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you for inviting me. It's good to be here.
1: Yeah, very glad to have you on. uh, Before we get into the the topic at hand, why don't you give us a little bit of uh, your background in terms of how you got into data and analytics and healthcare IT? Well,
2: I guess in some ways I've always been involved in data. You know, my educational background was in management science, which involves a lot of mathematical modeling and statistics. But my real story related to healthcare starts in 1997. At the time, I was working for a large consulting firm and happened to be working with a pharmaceutical company on a project involving drug safety. Now, you may recall um, when the FDA pulled a drug from the market called Fenfen. It was a diet pill that back in 1997 um, was found to be causing patients heart valve damage. Their heart valves were leaking. Um, I was knee deep in this company's response to this whole crisis. And what was intriguing was that the drug was pulled from the market after just a handful of patients or their doctors made reports to the FDA that they thought there was a connection between the drug and, and this heart valve leakage. Um, it was just a trickle of reports, and, and Cleveland Clinic did uh, some a confirmation study. They, they pulled a bunch of medical charts and said, yeah, we do think there's something here. Um, and again, it's just a handful of reports, but after the story went public in less than 24 hours, thousands of patients and doctors started calling in to report that they too were taking this drug and, and had heart valve leakage. So no one really knew about it. Nobody really made the connection. Um, in the end, over 14,000 people were determined to have experienced heart valve damage from this caused by this drug. Um. And until the story went public, no one knew. So this was a wake-up call for me. You know, the fact that patients were taking this pill and later having heart valve damage were documented facts, right? It was documented in their medical records. Mm -hmm. It was documented in payer claims, but nobody was looking at the data to connect the dots. And, And so for me, this started a journey that ultimately led to me founding my company. But over the past 20 years, I've been very fortunate to work in on many initiatives of payers providers research institutions and government agencies on initiatives to leverage data um, these initiatives have run the gamut from building several nationally scaled research networks that are pulling together data from multiple providers and payers to working with individual healthcare organizations like st luke's university health network who i've been working with more recently and Um, to build enterprise data management analytics capabilities for their organizations, and I'll I'll give more examples from that as we talk.
1: Very interesting. I recall the Fenfen stuff very well, and, um, you know, sometimes it seems like we have an issue that either is a success or a potential failure that gets people very much interested and excited, and so your story is really interesting. Um, Getting to sort of the topic at hand we're going to talk about, which is data liquidity, And, you know, I've heard the term interoperability used a lot, and obviously that's something that's pretty hot right now, but had less heard the use of the term data liquidity. So could you sort of define it in your words and also explain how it's different from interoperability?
2: Sure. For me, interoperability is a subset of data liquidity. And, you know, its most simple definition, data liquidity is simply the ability to get the right data to the right person at the right time. And I would add a corollary to that, really also getting the right insights from data, which can be different than just getting data. Um, for me, data liquidity is about harnessing the true power of data to support the next evolution of healthcare. I mean, we all know that we're now in a data-driven economy, and every facet of our lives, uh, there's data behind the scenes driving things. Um, I think of interoperability as being a transactional feature. Of provider and payer systems, so interoperability in healthcare. Right, it's aimed primarily at supporting continuity of care and payment for care. That's transactional in nature because it is designed around um, continuity of care records and other kinds of transactions. Um, these interactions are important, and as I said, are a part of data liquidity. Liquidity, but there's much more to data liquidity. Um, you know, we, we typically think of job one, which is the clinician delivering care to the patient, and obviously that is job one and they need the best possible information, but what about a a physician leader that needs to evaluate clinical outcomes, quality and efficiency for an entire population, the care being delivered, or a quality coordinator working on a very specific quality improvement initiative, or a care manager that needs to prioritize patients for interventions, or a business executive who needs to understand service line performance or a financial executive that needs to model a new value-based contract, or a development executive selecting the best location for a new urgent care center, or a community health professional developing a new outreach campaign. I mean, I've kind of gone through a long list on purpose to make a point. Um, There's a lot of uses, potential uses for this data that we have or don't yet have, and and we need to be taking a systems approach to thinking about it, not a transactional approach.
1: So and getting into it a little more, I've heard that you could have interoperability and still not have data liquidity. Is that the case?
2: Well, yeah, because um, you may not have all the data you need. There may be constraints on who can use the data. Um, and obviously, obviously, privacy protection and appropriate use of data is the backdrop for all this discussion. So I'm certainly not talking about inappropriate uses. But we're still in a day where even appropriate uses are, are not always enabled.
1: Uh huh. So as you think about this, you did put, bring through a long list. But in many cases, those individuals need similar pieces of data combined with maybe dissimilar pieces of data, depending on their specific area of expertise or what they're trying to do. And so what you really, as you said, get back to is to be able to bring the right data to that individual um, In in a format and in a way that they can use it.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. And, you know, we all know that we're still operating in a world where healthcare is fragmented, therefore, a lot of the data is fragmented. Um, So, even the basic data, you know, electronic health records, um, claims data, um, pharmacy related claims data, or dispensing data, that information is sprinkled around, and, and there's no guarantee that the clinician or even the patient has access to the data they need when they need it
1: and what what currently is making that so difficult you know you've got all these data sets out there what makes it so hard to create this liquidity
2: well i I look at it a little bit different so we we have to there's constraints out there that we mentioned Healthcare is fragmented different organizations have different data and so in part that's a business model challenge it's a regulatory challenge and over time, through things like accountable care organizations or shared savings programs, you know, those issues are, are starting to, to work their way out. Um, so knowing that we work within that constraint, then it's what can we do with what we have and what kind of incremental um, data expansion plans can we implement is, is how I frame it. But you know, if we want to talk about what makes data liquidity so difficult, I can kind of break down four or five major topics. Should I do that?
1: Yes, please.
2: <laughs> okay. So so first, and I kind of alluded to this, but I'll expand on it, no healthcare organization today has all the data they need to, to, be, to optimize everything they do today and definitely not all the data they'll need in the future. So we have to be real clear about that. So I talked about how healthcare data today's largely fragmented, therefore the data is fragmented. And there are business models I alluded to, ACOs, et cetera, where we're starting to to kind of pull more data together. Um, But then there's new data, right? So a lot of talk about genetic data, a lot of talk about social determinants determinants of health. So this is new types of data that we all know are important to the future of medicine, yet today very few organizations have access to this type of data. other new types of data, um, you know, patient-generated health data. What's going on with someone after they leave the four walls of, of the doctor's office or hospital? You know, who's, who, you know, which congestive heart failure patients are about to crash and, and you need to intervene? Um, so part of the challenge is is defining what data we need and building an, an incremental expansion plan, you know, over time because you know Rome wasn't built in a day, and we don't want to boil the ocean. All those colloquialisms but we do need to think thoughtfully about an incremental expansion plan as a key element of a, of a longer term strategy for data liquidity. So that's just one kind of challenge. The second challenge is, is, and this speaks probably more to a data sciences type of audience, but there needs to be a duality of data preparedness. And what I mean by that is we need to be good at two things. So first we need to be able to anticipate and prepare to deliver data for very specific uses that we can anticipate. You know, for example, there's an ever-growing list of quality measures, and we need to get the data and, and, and implement the algorithms to produce those quality measures and put them into reports that go to the right people. Um, but at the same time, we can't anticipate every use, so we, we need to make virtually all data available in a constant state of readiness to support questions and needs as they arise. And that requires a whole different kind of uh, data architecture and, and systems and, and modeling of data to, to be able to do that. Um, and another point is, you know, so there's raw data, so, you know, th- th- you could be naive and thinking, okay, if I, just because I have the raw data sitting in a, in a repository somewhere that, you know, we're, half, we're most of the way there. But really, raw data is necessary. It's it's the foundation that everything else is built on. But it's not even close to sufficient. So to derive meaningful insights from data, we need to build models that can be applied to both the anticipated needs and to help us in responding to unanticipated needs. So, for example, we need master provider and patient lists. Um, provider data can come to us from many different places. It, you know, and it can be inconsistent. And so to be able to accurately report on physicians and, and other types of providers we need to have a, a good list of providers very simple concept but it's proven to be a challenge in the industry we need to harmonize our you know reference codes so how one system refers to gender could be different than how another system refers to gender and there's hundreds of examples um, address data you, you know we do, we need to validate addresses and standardize addresses um, we talk about quality measures, There's hundreds of quality measures. We need to kind of pre-calculate as many of those as we can. Um, monitoring outcomes. Um, the whole topic of, out, of health outcomes is, there's not a lot of standardization in what outcomes should we measure for various medical conditions. But those, where we have agreement, then we should be measuring those things. And, again, that's work that you do uh, to prepare your data so that it can be used. Um, I, I could go down a long list. There's episodic grouping. Mm-hmm. There's risk scoring and risk stratification. Um, there's cost accounting, right? So what does it cost to deliver our care? When a patient shows up for different types of visits, what was the cost of that? There's there's physician attribution. Um, you know, which physicians are responsible for which patients? Sounds obvious, but it's actually quite complicated. Um, I, I, again, I could go down a long, long list of these types of things. And so the, key, the the main message is to have your data. What does it mean to have your data in a state of readiness? Not only does it mean that you bring in data and you integrate it, but it also means that you apply these models so that the data can be more effectively used to gain insights.
1: So if if someone were looking at where at, at this issue, and you know, as you said, you don't boil the ocean, um, and it really is huge. Where where should they start?
2: Well, give an example from St. Luke's. So, um, mm-hmm. I've served as um, like a program manager or director for their implementation of enterprise data management analytics for a few years now. And you know, so every organization kind of needs to assess where they are and where they need to go with data. So at St. Luke's. We did several things to do that. First, we established a Leveraging Data Steering Committee, made up of senior executives to help guide the journey, right? That's, that's, that's the reality check on what are the most important requirements um, and what are pragmatic ideas for things we can do or things that might push the organization beyond what it's prepared to do at this time. Um, we did a current state assessment. We, we did a future state vision. We, we identified requirements. But the other cool thing we did was we did a series of proof-of-concept projects, looking at pulling together data and analyzing it in ways we hadn't done so before to really identify proof points of the value that we could deliver if we establish a more scaled capability to use data. Um, you know, Then we went through the process of, of selecting and evaluating multiple technology vendors to identify the best fit for us. And all of this led, work led to a business case for investment with an implementation plan. So, you know, there's no free lunch in data, I like to say, and there's just certain things you have to do to establish a plan to create value from data, which is what this is all about. You know, mm-hmm. out of that process, we came up with a business-driven roadmap where we prioritize the business value propositions, you know, the value propositions we wanted to go after, whether they're business oriented or clinical quality oriented or whatever right and that in turn led us to prioritize data sources we needed to harness and the types of analytics we needed to build and deliver um and then uh, you know and then then it builds from there over over three years now we've integrated over 40 data sources built over 60 self-service applications covering everything from performance management to quality and safety to physician practice management patient experience, market analysis, targeted, targeted outreach, et cetera. Um, And, and the cool, and, and one of the things I really liked about this process was we don't have to wait three years to get all that. Um, You can do things quickly, right? So it's how to eat an elephant one bite at a time. If you approach this smartly, you can implement certain things very quickly. We were integrating our first data sets and delivering our first new set of reports in less than six months and then you build on it from there.
1: And so you chose an application or a platform to do this, uh, to pull these all together, as you said, these 40 data sets, and can you talk some about that?
2: Yeah, um, so we went through a process. So what we we did, you know, most healthcare organizations are not in the position to be um, a systems integrator or to spend the kind of resources required to hire a large systems integration firm, right? And so cost effectiveness matters, but it also matters to have kind of a holistic solution that works and works well with all the various pieces of the puzzle. So for us, that meant we needed a a very strong, we wanted a solution that had a strong data management platform, as well as a strong um, analytics or business intelligence platform. And then within that there were you know you can break that down into kind of dozens of, of features and and capabilities that are necessary um to support the whole value chain around um, data around you know collecting data integrating it standardizing it you know all the moving data into kind of a common data structure that you can report against and conduct analysis against having analytical tools to do different types of analysis whether it's Standard reporting, or statistics, or predictive modeling, right? Um, and then hopefully you 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 choose a vendor that has anticipated a lot of your specific healthcare needs and has built some applications that you can kind of use. And so we went through a process of kind of looking at all the the vendors, all the usual suspects, if you will, in the market, um, to to really evaluate where the various vendors were, and that led us to choosing a company called Information Builders. And their OmniHealth data platform.
1: And can you talk a little bit about how that that went? You've, you know, you've talked about integrating some things. How that went? How the pro the uh, OmniHealth data platform works? Yeah.
2: What I what I really like about the OmniHealth data platform is it it really automates a lot of the work you need to do. So. It basically reduces bringing integrating data to a data mapping exercise. So out of the box they, they come with you know some standard some mappings towards standard data sources or you know data sources they've encountered in the past. and you can very quickly tailor those mappings to handle local variations in an implementation, for example, of Epic or some other system. right But once you've done that data mapping, um, and they basically reduce the you know the ETL process, extract transfer and load process and data mastering process to an extract. the The heavy lifting you need to do is is get the extract so you get the data. You then bump it up to the platform, and the platform takes care of the transformations. It takes care of all the like the some of the cleansings I mentioned. It takes care of transforming the data to to fit a healthcare data model for reporting. Um, and it, it loads that into uh, a da- the data architecture that you're then gonna use for reporting. And, and so so it's really a turnkey solution which has helped, helped us to accelerate our progress.
1: So what are some of the examples of uh, uh, where you're seeing the folks at St. Luke saying, hey, this is giving us something new or exciting to work with, or it's really helped us in an area. Can you talk about a few of those?
2: Sure. So, you know, St. Luke's has achieved um, a designation of of being one of the top providers in the United States from a quality perspective. So they have, you know, they've achieved top 100 designations from Truven and lots of other awards. Um, This platform supports our entire performance improvement program, right? So we've built over, uh, I call them, uh, for you know balanced scorecards is a term we've used this that cover quality cover safety cover kind of other performance metrics related to different departments and different service lines and it's all being driven from this data so you know we're able to use the data to report how we're performing we're comparing it to benchmarks that we also include in our data and it's used as a part of our performance improvement process which is kind of culturally ingrained at St. Luke's. So it's, it's the data that fuels that whole process. That's one example.
1: For, for each of the different areas the, or um, departments, etc.
2: Oh yeah. 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 So, you know, hospital based departments, um, um, you know, the, the, as well as service lines. So you've kind of, it's kind of a, Matrix view of the world. You have, you have service lines where patients may access many hospital services, but then you have departments within the hospital. For example,
1: and, and for our audience, when you reference St. Luke's, it's uh, St. Luke's in wh- which area?
2: St. Luke's University Health Network. So we're, we're, they are a. They're in eastern Pennsylvania, about an hour north of Philadelphia. They're a large integrated health network that has seven hospitals historically, actually, you know, recent announcements, were now up to 10 hospitals through mergers, um, over t- close to 300 sites of care, right? So they have physician practices, primary care, specialty care, clinics, urgent care, et cetera. So they're a large integrated network. Um, and they are a, you know, high quality, low cost leader in, in the region they serve
1: that's fantastic and it's interesting to hear about this and i'm thinking through my head all the things about the different stuff you can do with this so what does the future look like both for st luke's where do they want to take this to next what are they trying to do with it and uh and and possibly others as they look uh and dig further into the whole data liquidity issue
2: well we're doing a lot um now and in the future so population health obviously is a big target so in your intro you talked about preparing for value-based care um, so we're using the data you know to look at our populations from the perspective of quality utilization and medical cost, right so um, and we've created a clinically integrated network you know as part of st. Luke's strategy for value-based care so this data becomes and the tools that we've built become kind of the engine for modeling value-based contracts and managing performance along the way. One of the challenges for providers have been they get reports from their payers. So they rely on data from their payers that represents care that was delivered six months ago. Um, And you have questions about the accuracy of the reports because you have deeper clinical data than they do. and, and, And obviously the timeliness of the data is a problem. So this sort of capability puts us in a much better position to manage performance and to have strategic discussions with our payers.
1: Yeah, I think that point you made is really important because, you know, as you say, you get, typically you get the data from the health plans, and the claims data is limited. Whereas you're now pulling together multiple data, you know, from different data points around whether it's finance or quality or, or uh, um, you know, utilization, et cetera, within the facility or within the service, Group, et cetera, and and using that, and, and that really is the key to population health. Because the more you can understand that and have that data driving through the system, whether it goes to the doctor, or the care manager, or, or is used for risk stratification, or identification, or outcome measures and quality, you you really need that kind of approach to to create a true population health model.
2: That's
0: right.
1: So you talked a little bit about uh, a clinically integrated network. Is that the entire group there or do they have a subset or how's that work
2: Well all all providers that are employed at St. Luke's are part of their clinically integrated network but we've also brought in additional providers who are not employed from throughout the community so the idea as is the case for all clinically integrated networks is to be able to demonstrate to the payers that you're able to deliver the majority of the care and therefore you're able to manage to evidence-based protocols
1: and you're pulling in data from those that are outside the network as well
2: yeah and and, well for example we're we're starting um, well we've been in shared savings programs the bpci program for many years Um, and so in addition to having relationships with providers we we do also get the claims data from cms and we're just starting a new um, mssp aco and, and from that we'll be getting data from cms as well which helps in addition to starting to pull in data from providers
1: fantastic well this has been a really great discussion Dan very much appreciate your insights learning more about data liquidity and how St. Luke's has done it uh, on the uh, Omni Health Data Platform so with that thanks for joining us
2: thank you I've enjoyed the time today
0: and that will have to be the last word for today's broadcast I want to thank our guest Dan Foltz Managing Director Parnassus Consulting for his time and insights today and Big shout out to Information Builders for sponsoring this timely broadcast on health data liquidity. Learn more about Information Builders platform, Omni Health Data on the web via Omni Health. That's l m n i health data dot com, and on the on Twitter via at info and b l d r s at info builders abbreviated. Learn more about Parnassus Consulting on the web via Parnassus Consulting, and that's P-A-R-N-A-S-S-U-S-Consulting.com, or connect with Dan Foltz, F-O-L-T-Z, on LinkedIn. Until we meet again on Pop Health Week for Fred Goldstein, this is Greg Masters saying happy holidays to all, and may you have a safe, peaceful, healthy, and prosperous new year. Bye now.